everybody. Welcome back to Dr. Me First, a podcast all about authentic conversations between female physicians. Us, baby. We are talking reproduction, sex, and infertility today. This is episode number 44, and I am with Dr. Rashmi Kudasia. She is an amazing board-certified reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. And yeah, we just jump into it full bore. We talk about empowering women to have superb reproductive health. We talk about the huge challenge of infertility in female physicians and in female residents. And we talk about my recent exposure of sexual education to my local high school, the presentation I did. Now, our conversations are a little bit explicit for young ears, so I would caution you to have your children listen at this time, because we do get into some sensitive topics that you may not be ready to talk about with your own kids, but you should be thinking about talking with your own kids at some point. Well, anyway, I can't wait to get into this conversation and hang around afterwards for a fun kick of encouragement. Here we go. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Wiseman again, and I am back with a very special guest. This is Dr. Rashmi Kudasia. Yeah, Dr. Rashmi Kudasia, that's right. Well, tell everybody <laughs> about yourself, your practice, and what you love in life. Yeah, that, well, that's a great question. <laughs> that's a great question. Um, so let's see, I uh, am a Midwesterner originally. I was born in Chicago and grew up in Michigan. Um, so that's kind of where I, I spent the first 18 years of my life and then uh, kind of, you know, as many of us do, moved around the country for school and for training. Um, and uh, I was up in the Northeast and then I was down in North Carolina for medical school. Uh, and then I moved up to New York City to do my residency at Cornell. And uh, then I ended up staying to do my fellowship at Albert Einstein. And then I stayed again to join the faculty at Mount Sinai um, and was in practice up there for almost three years. And uh, along the way, I met my husband, um, who's a native Houstonian, and so we uh, decided at some point along the way that once I passed my boards and all that good stuff, we would move down to Houston. And so that's where I've been for just about a year now. Um, So I started practicing last March at CCRM Fertility Houston, um, and it's been a really great journey. Um, You know, we came down here for a lot of reasons. One of them was kind of to grow personally as well as professionally, and so, you know, on that front, we... After 10 years of apartment living, we have a house, we have a puppy, that's as far as we've gotten, but that was pretty good growth for one year. So, um, you know, it's been great to be here in Houston. Um, and uh, my most recent other development is just in that I've opened a satellite office in one of our locations here, and, and that's been really fun, getting to do the interior design and kind of help build this team and, and bring out to the community where kind of a little bit in a suburb of, called Sugarland, um, which is actually where my husband grew up. So it's been kind of nice to have that experience. Um, and that's kind of the main stuff about me. I, aside from uh, being a fertility specialist and, and reproductive endocrinologist, I try to do as much women's health advocacy as possible. I know we'll talk about that. Um, but uh, just a big proponent for women getting the information they need. And so I do a lot of talks and social media stuff on, on that topic as well. That's amazing. I'm so glad to hear all of your little journey around because sometimes I feel like a lost traveler, you know, <laughs> having talked <laughs> one place and another. And I mean, yeah. I know all my listeners uh, are women in medicine too, but like when you talk to your non-doctor friends, they're just like, holy shit, you're all over the place. Yep. 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 Exactly. So it's and nice I mean, it's, it's somebody else's journey. 
Yeah. I mean, and it's funny because I did like almost, I think, 20 interviews or something for fellowship and then ended up matching literally down the street. And so it was just really ironic. I was like, okay, that was, you know, national travel, all these interviews. And, you know, people, of course, as women physicians, we get it. It's just a funny road that, that we're on. 20 interviews. Good Lord. Yep. <laughs> I was all in. You got it, girl. Well, awesome. Well, let's jump into your word today. The one you picked, which is not too unsurprising now hearing your background, <laughs> is reproduction. Why did you pick this word? Well, so obviously as a reproductive endocrinologist, that's part and parcel of my day-to-day. -day. But, you know, it's interesting, um, and right now there's just this really timely social media campaign, too, around recognizing sort of the trials and, and statistics around reproduction, particularly among women physicians. And that's a topic that's super, you know, something I'm super passionate about in specific. Uh, and actually, I got a grant maybe about five years ago uh, when I was still in fellowship to look at that. Because in my mind, when I was writing that grant proposal, it actually was a little bit scary to me. I was, um, you know, looking at all of the various risk factors we have. I mean, if you think about it, A, we have these crazy years of training and schooling. And so many people either are not meeting a partner earlier in life or, are, you know, maybe in a relationship that are delaying childbearing. We can oftentimes be in workplaces that have these hierarchical systems and maybe it's looked down upon to get pregnant or to get pregnant, you know, repeatedly within a residency or, you know, whatever the case may be. So there's all kinds of other risk factors. We know what happens to our trajectory as women if we have children. And so perhaps for a lot of my colleagues, the thought is, okay, let's establish ourselves and then think about having kids. Um, and then there's just our jobs, you know, our hours can be crazy. Some, you know, many women physicians are married to other physicians. And I mean, I had so many friends, I remember, you know, they're trying to get pregnant and one of them is working days and their partner's working nights. And it's like, okay, well, that's going to be a problem. And so there's just a lot of risk factors. And we find that actually the rate of infertility among female physicians is almost twice of that, um, you know, in the general population. And so to me, reproduction is about you know, A, reproductive empowerment, knowing what's going on with the reproductive system, which is something that's not always emphasized in this country. B, being able to use your reproductive system in whichever way you see fit and, you know, being healthy in that regard. And, you know, how do we as a society talk about supporting women in reproduction? And so whether that is a physician or, or otherwise, you know, how do we help people think about their fertility preservation, having a safe and healthy pregnancy when they want to, um, being able to get contraception if they don't want to have a child at that point, and, and so on. So that word to me is just sort of summarizes it all. Yeah, it's huge. And I, I have been really just energized with the movement about talking about infertility in the female physician community, because it was yeah. kind of that like, dirty little secret you know like you don't want to tell mm -hmm. the females behind you that you're mentoring like hey like this is my reality but I'm so glad to see that it's coming out more and that there are more women who are sharing their stories and therefore also getting support because going through infertility treatments is not a walk in the park <laughs> That's so true. I mean, I remember when I was a resident, one of our attendings, you know, we saw her a couple times walking in with a Band-Aid, you know, um, on, and we were like, oh, is she doing IVF? You know, is she going for morning monitoring before she comes into round? And, you know, we were all curious about that. And then, you know, I mean, that kind of incited a little bit of panic among us too, like, oh, why does she need to do IVF? And, you know, I think it just 
you know, she didn't disclose any of that until later, but I think you're right that, you know, more openness, um, you know, a, a sort of among our own peer groups, but then also, you know, with women that we work with in other phases of their career or their life, I think is so important so that people really understand what the soup is and what it all entails and, you know, think about what they should be doing preemptively to protect themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's so important that we are now talking about this so that our trainees can know that there are options, that this is Mm -hmm. not, infertility does not have to be their diagnosis. Yeah. And I think, you know, so much of what the psychological literature says is that part of infertility is the sense of loss of control, right? And I think that, you know, again, in this sort of puritanical culture that we have, you know, there's so much like, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, you know, you hit puberty, and all of a sudden, that's the message being thrown at you, either don't have sex, or don't get pregnant, or, you know, and it makes it all seem like it's super easy to get pregnant, and, you know, the reality is that, you know, even in our peak fertility in our mid-20s, you know, per month, if everything is there, there's an egg that's ovulating, there's a normal, you know, amount of sperm, you're having sex at the right time, you know, assuming all of that, um, even then, the chance per month of pregnancy is about 25%, but by the time we hit our 40s, that number has dropped to about 4% per month. And so, um, you know, I think that it's so many patients that come in and especially physicians that come in and they're like, I thought I knew what the statistics were, but, you know, I actually didn't. And, um, you know, I think that it's just really important to understand what the reality of the situation is. Yeah. And I think it's really important, too, as we're talking to our residents and our fellows, you know, that they get a really good sense of the culture of the training program that they're getting get, getting ready to go into, because those are your, your peak years uh, for having kids. Mm-hmm. Shoot, I had two in residency. Oh, my gosh. Good for you. I was crazy. And they were not healthy pregnancies. I'll be perfectly honest. I was on Procardia for the, my first one. And my second one, I went, I think, yeah, I was on Procardi again, but didn't handle it well. So I had to get switched around. It was awful. It was terrible. And it was because, well, you know, it's one of those things I think, and that's why I'm so excited culturally that we're having these discussions and that we're talking about it and we're, we're recognizing, you know, we, we need to care for our residents differently and female residents, we're going to take care differently than male residents. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm just so glad you'll laugh at me. I recently um, gave the sex ed talk here at our local high school in Southern Indiana. Good for you. And, um, sometimes we're stuck in the 1970s here. God love us. Mm. Um, I am <laughs> definitely in the Bible belt. And, and so I went in there and definitely shook things up because I'm the, I'm the same way when you're talking about, you know, we're all about telling girls about their periods, but then when it happens, we're so scared that we don't tell them and give them information about what's going on with their body, about how they need to understand their body. And that includes their Mm -hmm. sexual health. So in my sex ed talk, oh my gosh, we talked everything from, oh, it was amazing from, you know, of course I got the question you like, can you get get pregnant if you swallow. And I'm like, okay, whoa, 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 guys, let's go back to how pregnancy happens. And I had me in the whole with like egg sperm. So you tell me, can it happen? (laughs) And so I really tried to empower them that, yeah, the only way to a hundred percent not get pregnant is to not have vaginal sex with a penis. And, (laughs) but I, but then I also empowered them to say, 
you are the boss of your body. And I was so amazed after the presentation, I had several high school girls come up to me and one gal, she was like, so my family is really religious and I've only been taught abstinence only. And she's like, I'm not having sex though. And I'm like, Hey, whatever, we'll talk. Yeah. And she said, I just really appreciate you being really honest in answering all these questions and things that may seem silly. Cause I had them write their questions down. She said, but I, I've been having to secretly try to figure things out. And my oh. heart just broke for her because I know what that is. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was the kid that had to go to the encyclopedia to look up (laughs) sex organs when I was like in fifth grade because I was like, I want to know about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Encyclopedia Botanica, I'm right there with you. (laughs) And so, and and that's what I was telling the school nurse and I invited parents, I invited the school board. I'm like, anybody is welcome in here because honestly, we all probably need a little bit more sex education in our life. But I want my kids and the kids that I talk to to hear this information from a, a physician, not cosmopolitan right. or whatever they Google online. Right. That's so I think so it's true. so important, the work that you're doing with um, empowering reproductive health. Well, I think, you know, I mean, thank you. But I, I think, and I love that you did the sex ed. I mean, I, you know, I used to teach uh, sex ed through this program when I was down in Durham. But I will say my uh, residency program, uh, director up in um, New York actually ended up doing it for his daughter's school. And I mean, that was my number one favorite thing about him ever. I mean, I, I think that you're right, a physician or, you know, in his case, a gynecologist, which is awesome um, to give that talk, you know, we're not afraid of using the words. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, we're not encouraging, you know, people to have crazy, unprotected sex, but we want them to be smart and we know what the realities are um, of who's going to do what. And, you know, I think that that's super important. But I think that also it's important because when we teach kids or, you know, adolescents that they should just be quiet and kind of accept this information passively and not ask their questions or be embarrassed to ask these questions, then I think it's not surprising when, you know, 10 years later we get these 28-year-old women that feel nervous to talk to their gynecologist about certain things or don't feel empowered to go to the doctor and bring up their questions because they're told that all of this is shameful stuff to Google online or whatever. And, you know, I think that that's how a lot of things go awry. And when I get patients that come in and they're like, oh my God, I never understood X, Y, or Z, you know, that's because it was a failure of, you know, sort of arming them with the right information and the right outlook to be able to ask those questions and understand that they can ask those questions. We want to answer those questions um, and, you know, and so on and so forth. I think that's so important. Yeah, because it's so important that they learn their own body and how to advocate for themselves. I was just on um, a call. So I do telemedicine and I was talking Mm -hmm. to a woman and she was describing some um, like pelvic issues, like some burning and some pain. And she just didn't even have the words to tell me the location. I mean, we were on the phone together. So I had to end up, you know, saying, you know, I can't really help you, but I can help you get to someone who can help you. And it kind of made my heart a little bit sad for her that she, she really didn't even know her body well enough to explain to me over the phone what was going on. Even when I asked about like, are you having your regular amount of vaginal discharge? She was like, "I, I just don't know. Oh, that's hard. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's the healthcare system and sort of the, as it starts in the education system and then moves forward. But then there's also, you know, I mean, so much when we look at the, the rates of, 
you know, vaginal surgery going up for labral reductions and this and that. And, you know, people are, are taught now that, you know, it's, it's gross to have vaginal discharge. And, you know, it's like this idea that you should have, you know, no pubic hair, right to say that, you know, people, women should feel empowered to be able to sing. If you don't know what's normal, then how can you move forward and, uh, and be able to talk to people about that, to have an outlook to talk to people about that. And, you know, we just don't live in a country where everybody has access to healthcare and, and has a primary care provider that they feel that they can be open with. And, and that's a real travesty. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think like the, the status of normal, I mean, it's been changed because I think of what the internet has out there. And actually during my talk, I brought this up about pornography and that these students need to realize that these are actors that use medications and surgeries to alter their body for what they're doing. So you need to know that. And I don't know that kids always do. No, I don't think that they do. I I agree. That's, That's a great point. I'm so glad you said that. One of the other questions that I got from these high school students was about landscaping. And I giggled a little bit because just like you said, like altering your body. And I just brought up the point that I was like, okay, everybody sitting in this room has pubic hair. Not a surprise. I said, but what can be surprising is the infections that you can get when you are, you know, removing the hair or using like, nair type products you know that and so we went Mm -hmm. all into that and you could just see their eyes like oh shit maybe i should be doing this right or you know i've seen um you know also effective is like sometimes you show kids like you know whether it's porn or whatever it is but like from the 70s right where you know like hair was in big was in and you know to kind of prove the point of like you know you can't do that maybe in schools but just in general to sort of say that you know look like these are all trends and, you know, this was what was considered sexy at, at various points in time. And so these are all opinions. And, you know, you don't have to have the same opinion as the person sitting next to you. Or, you know, if you don't have the same opinion as your partner, you don't have to do what they want just because, you know. And so I think that those are all such important messages for kids to realize or for women of all ages, honestly, to realize that, you know, whatever they're seeing, like you said, in Cosmo or on the Internet or whatever is all just kind of arbitrary and it's because we happen to be at this point in time and this is what's quote unquote in um so it's you know you should feel like you're in charge of doing whatever you do or don't want to do yeah absolutely going along those same lines too I had a question that was what does sex feel like and Mm. I just gave him the honest answer I said orgasm is one of the most amazing things in the human body let me tell you about it. Yeah. So we broke it all down. We talked about the muscles. We talked about the neurochemicals, like how, how amazing our bodies can manifest this type of reaction. But then I also brought in that for some women, sex is extremely painful. So right. you again, kind of have to know your body. And that's when I, I just brought in too. I said, that's why there's so many different ways to express yourself sexually. Because not one size fits all. Not one thing feels like another thing. And I had one of the teachers come up afterwards and she loved it. That was the comment that she took away from it. But don't you think that's so important? Like you said, like, it's just, it's different for everybody. That's, that's why, I mean, we're all different. Our bodies are all different. They're all miraculously made, but you just got to know that it's going to be the same for you or your best friend. That's. That's totally true. And I think, you know, what, from what I see, you know, first of all, I see a lot of different things. So, you know, one is that 
Um, you know, when I think about kids that are, you know, potentially LGBT or questioning, you know, whether their sexual orientation or their gender identity or whatever. And I think it's really important to get that message out there that, you know, no matter what you're into, you know, first of all, in the future, if you want to have a family, you know, you can. And those families are going to look different, and there's no one way to have a family. And so particularly in parts of the country that are, you know, really traditional or conservative that way, I think it's really important to to understand that there's no one way to have a family and that there's so many options nowadays. And I've taken care of, you know, transgender men who wanted to freeze their eggs before getting their ovaries removed and, you know, all of this stuff. And so there's so much that can be done in terms of, you know, there's no one right way. But then even with heterosexual couples, you know, I mean, different cultural or religious communities that I've worked in that have been very kind of, you know, hush hush about sexual education, you know, it leads to a lot of pain with sex or confusion around sex and and not really understanding and then you know all of a sudden when we're telling people okay well you know the the media depiction of trying to conceive is like people just having like crazy wild sex and you know for many women like you said vaginal penile intercourse is not their like favorite thing and so you know they feel I think a lot of pressure to think a women feel a lot of pressure to think that they're supposed to really enjoy this whole thing um, and especially guys you know I think a lot of men feel very embarrassed and, and uncomfortable with the fact that they're are really stressed out about having to have this much sex um, and they don't want to. Um, and so I just think that that's really all very fascinating that we kind of all imbibe this message that, you know, this is one way to do it and we should all really love it. And, you know, if we don't, then we're embarrassed to admit that, you know, and think about the problems that it could cause. I, I think that that's such an interesting idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I love everything that you're saying. If people want to hang <laughs> out more so. with you, <laughs> we all need more sex in our life. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> One way exactly. If people want to hang out with you, find out more about you, ask you some questions about all everything that we've talked about today, what are the best ways for they to, them to get a hold of you? You can definitely message me by my professional Facebook page. Um, if you just search, it's Rashmi Kadesia. Um, MD, MSC, so it kind of has my full credentials on there, so that's one way. And then I'm on Instagram at rkadesia, um, and you could send me a DM there too, or, you know, just follow along with the post or comment there, um, but I'm always happy to answer questions. I do a lot of that for various, you know, situations that I'm in or groups that I'm in, so feel free to, to reach out if you have questions or collaborations or anything. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and I just thank really appreciate me. having this conversation with you today. Awesome. Thank you. Told you it was a super fun conversation. Uh, even the little 13-year-old girl that's still inside of me, she is still seeking out knowledge about her body and sexuality. And I am just so uplifted to have colleagues that I could come together with and have super candid conversations about this. I hope you're walking away with a lot of good tidbits to think about from this conversation on reproductive health, infertility, sex ed, everything we talked about, sexual expression, that there's no one right way to have a family, all of that. You know, and one of my personal favorite Facebook groups that I found that I like to hang out in for these exact issues is steamy stethoscope 
Um, you have to get invited privately, but it is a group of female physicians that are addressing these exact issues. So if it's something that you're more interested in learning about or hearing what other colleagues are saying, I'd encourage you to go check out that Facebook group. I am not an admin. I don't have any proprietary rights to it. I just find it a super fun group. But I want to talk a little bit more about sex and my own experience with it with burnout. You know, sex is actually one of our most basic needs. And I found when I was in the middle of burnout or even now when I am in a very stressful situation or a very imbalanced situation, that is a huge indicator to me that there's something more going on. It's not just the physical of being tired and and that. It's a deeper emotional intimacy that I just don't have the emotional energy. And so I would encourage you to look at your sex life. Guess what? You get to be in control of it. It can look however you want. But I would also encourage you to look at it from perspective of, is there something going on inside of me that is manifesting through my sex life? And so it's a really interesting point of view that I've taken now through recovery, through burnout, through working with other females and bringing up and just saying, what is your sex like? Like, is it what you want it to be? And if it's not, what's going on inside of there? With no judgment, with no right answers, and just knowing that it's just another quadrant of our health that we need to be cognizant to. So, again, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I would love to hear your comments. I would love to bring Dr. Rashmi back and talk more with her. So if you have any more topics that she can cover with me, let us know. I would love to have her back. And as always, I want you all to remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. Bye, guys, and love you so very much. 